Good morning, Christ Covenant. I'm going to read today's passage. If you'll join me, John 6, 22 through 59. So it's going to, I'm going to be here for a minute. I need to put my readers on because I'm old. Hold on. Join with me. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are not seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Well, then they said to him, What must we do to be, going, to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe, and that the Father gives me, wait, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not anyone who see, has seen the Father except him who is from God has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that, no, so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. 
The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, there's this famous interview. Um, it's, it's old now, um, but it's famous and it's very profound. It's with Madonna from 1991. And she's talking about her career and her success. And she's talking about her will and her energy. And, and she says this, I have an iron will. And all my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear to push past one spell of it and to discover myself an, a special person. And then I get to another stage and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. And I find myself a way to get out of it again, again, and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. Now, none of us are Madonna, but I think we can all, in one way or another, relate to that. We want to do something interesting with our life. We want to know that we're a special person, a special human being, that we've made the most of our lives. If, if you've been around Christ's covenant, you've heard me talk about the Atlanta narrative, right? You know you've made it in Atlanta if you're closing the deal or remodeling your house or going on a great vacation, right? It's interesting. People look your way. Oh, this person's made it. They're doing the thing. But then, of course, you do close the deal. You get the promotion. That guy that you've had a crush on for so long finally asks you out. And after a little while, you get bored again. <laughs> you need something else. You find yourself uninteresting. You, you have to do something else again and again. Maybe it's why some of you are here today. I'll try church. <laughs> Maybe that'll help. Maybe that'll make me feel interesting. Well, whatever the reason that you came today, I'm glad that you're here. And we've been in John chapter 6. And I think this text today is incredibly profound. John continues to do what he does in the gospel of John. He over and over again is kind of reinforcing this thesis statement that he gives at the end of the book. John is one of these books that has a very, very clear thesis statement. It comes at the end of the book in John 20, where John basically says, I've written these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his 
name. And, and if you've been with us, you've seen this is exactly what John is doing over and over and over again. He's proving that Jesus is the Christ. He's proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And he's showing us how to have life in his name. If, you, if you've been with us for the first part of John 6, we've seen that Jesus is a better Moses. He's the fulfillment of Moses. He's the true Passover, the one who provides. He is the one who brings help to his people when they're in trouble at the sea. But now Jesus is on the other side of the sea, and the crowd finds him, and they're hungry, and they come to Jesus, and what he says to them, look at verse 26 and 27 again. It's fascinating. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of your fill of loaves. And then he says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. You came to me not because you saw the signs. Now, you've heard me say this before. The signs are important. The signs that Jesus does are to point us to the true sign. They're to help us recognize that Jesus is the Christ. They're, they're not just arbitrary things that he's doing for entertainment. No, they're evidences that he is the fulfillment. They're evidences that he is the way of salvation, that he is the blessing of God. So as we've been seeing, the feeding of the 5,000 wasn't just something interesting Jesus was doing. He does this on the Passover. He, in a sense, fulfills the Passover. I am the one that will protect you in the wilderness. I am the one that will provide for you. I am the one that will sustain you. He comes to his people when they're in trouble at the sea. It's as if he was saying, I'm better than Moses. Moses brought you through the sea, but I am the Lord of the sea. I'm the Lord of the storm. I'm weightier than anything else in all of creation. You see, the signs aren't just signs. They're not just entertainment. There's a bigger purpose to them. Jesus is saying, you aren't coming to me because you're rightly seeing the signs, right? You're not coming to me because you're getting it and you're understanding that I'm the Messiah. You just want another magic trick where you might get a meal at the end of it. You just want me to show something cool where you may be fed and have your belly filled at the end of it. You're just bored <laughs> and you wanna see something exciting. You're seeking me not because you recognize who I am, but because you want your belly to be filled. But then he says, don't seek the bread that perishes. Rather, the bread that can give life. So really, I have two points today, and there's so much I could say about this text, but two things. First of all, the bread that perishes, and second, the bread that gives life. The bread that perishes and the bread that gives life. So let's talk about the bread that perishes. There, there are two words in the Greek for life, and actually it's really helpful. In English, we only have one word that we use in different ways, but in the Greek, there, there's two words. It's more helpful. The, the first is bios, right? I remember being in June Kalanji's ninth grade biology class, 
and learning about bios, the study of life, how life is sustained. I remember learning about the digestive system, right? You eat bread. Why? Because your body breaks it down and forms ATP, and ATP energizes your cells, and you can have bios. You can have life. You can live. You can keep living if you have this kind of food, this kind of energy. But there's another word for life in the Greek, and we use life in this way. And the Greek for this is zoe, or zoe. This is a kind of an internal life. This is meaning to your life. This is a life that I want to live. I want to have life. I think Bon Jovi's helpful here. So he said, it's my life. It's now or never. I ain't going to live forever. I just want to live while I'm alive. And actually, I think if, if he would have had access to the Greek, it, it would have clarified his song. So I think I have it on the screen. What, what he's really saying here is it's my Zoe, right? It's now or never. I ain't going to bios forever, right? Bios is temporary. I just want a Zoe while I'm bios, right? But we all want that. That's why this song is so helpful. I, just, I want a Zoe, you know? I don't just want to live. I want to live. I don't just want to exist. I don't just want ATP to fuel my cells. I want something to fuel my life. I want something to fuel my soul. I want my life to count, right? I want my bios to have Zoe. Now, some of you think, my bios will really have Zoe if I find love, right? I know why some of you are here. Some of you are like, I'll listen to this guy. I may even say hey to him on the way out, but really I'm here because she's here, all right? Really I'm here because I want to get a chance to talk to her, and she seems to like this church, so I'm here too. And I'm glad you're here. I hope, hey, good luck, you know? But you're here because you're like, man, I know where Zoe is found with love. If I, could have, if I could have her or if I could have a guy like that. Maybe for some of you, Zoe comes with success. I want to be successful and make a name for myself. You know, I, you know why we want success? It's validating, right? It validates you. I had a call this week with a guy. This guy called me up and he was just a jerk to me, Okay. And he was, it was passive-aggressive. It was like typical southern jerkness. And he was just belittling me, and I'm just like welling up, you know. And I knew enough, you know. I knew enough to keep my mouth shut and be kind on the phone. But you know what I really wanted to do? You know what was inside? I really wanted to flex, right? I really wanted to be like, you know who you're talking to, you know. Let me, let me give you my resume here, and we'll see how you talk to me now, you know. But I didn't do that. But that's why we want success. It's validating. I'm somebody. I have a Zoe. I have a Zoe. It's an important Zoe, and you, you have to respect it. Maybe Zoe for you comes by doing something interesting. Like Madonna said, I want to do something interesting. I want to write a new song. I want to create something special that people find interesting. That will prove I'm interesting. Let me just tell you this. I, I, want, I want to break it to you. Love is a wonderful thing, but if you go at love to get a Zoe, 
it'll always disappoint you. If you go into love with a Zoe, it's amazing. But if you go, if you're trying to get a Zoe out of love, out of some relationship, there'll never be a girl pretty enough. There'll never be a guy interesting enough. They'll never be able to meet your expectations. You can't get a Zoe out of a relationship, not one that satisfies, only one that ultimately spoils. If you go at work with a Zoe, incredibly satisfying, and you can work in a way that is honorable and good, but if you go to work to get a Zoe, oh, it's going to be terribly disappointing for you. You're never going to be able to get a Zoe out of your work. It won't last. If you want if you go to creating things with the Zoe, you'll be able to create things, wonderful things, and you'll be able to enjoy them, and you'll be able to give them away. But if you go to your creations to get a Zoe, ah, it'll never be enough. This is what Jesus is saying here. Don't eat the bread that spoils. Don't work for the food that spoils, but rather... For the one that endures, work for the bread that endures to eternal life. And I guess I would just ask you, what are you working for? What kind of food are you eating? Where are you finding your Zoe? And is it working for you? Is it filling you? Is it satisfying you? Is it the kind of bread that lasts or the kind of bread that only leaves you a little hungry for something more? So that's the bread that spoils. But secondly, I want to look at the bread that gives life. Jesus says something very powerful here. One of his most famous statements. What is this bread that gives life? Jesus says, I. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. If you are feasting on me, then everything else in your life will be in line That is where love and work and creativity, it can all be satisfying. When you're feasting on me, you can rightly give yourself to these other things. You don't always have to be taking from these other things. You can actually participate in love rightly and find joy in it and work without without always needing something from it, without always having to get the sale from it, make the deal with it. You know, John Prine, uh, who sadly died about a year ago, And one of his songs said this, I chased a rainbow down a one-way street dead end and all my friends turned out to be insurance salesmen. With all due respect to insurance salesmen, grateful for insurance salesmen. It's a hard job. It's a necessary job. I'm filing a homeowner's claim right now, so thank you. But we've all had that call from the old high school friend, haven't we? Says, hey, Jason, I want to take you out to lunch. Okay, great. You know, how's it going? Catch up. And then at the end of lunch, you get the question, right? Like, so have you thought about your future? Are you really taking care of your family, Jason? Yeah. And then, of course, they make the pitch, right? And you're left thinking, man, I thought, <laughs> I thought you cared about me. <laughs> I thought you wanted to get lunch with me. Is this just about selling insurance here? And I think this is what Jesus is saying. If you feast on me, if you eat of the bread that gives you a real Zoe, 
then you can have a Zoe that won't run dry. You, you won't always have to go at life trying to get something out of it, trying to take, you can actually, you'll actually have the energy and the poise and the hope to go and give, to go and love, to go and work for the sake of the work, to go and create for the sake of the creation. I am the bread of life. I am the Zoe that will really satisfy you. Now, this can be hard to understand, though. Don't eat of the food that spoils. Feast on me. And then, of course, Jesus goes on to say, I'm going to read the passage because it's strange. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. This would have been appalling for these Jewish people to have read or to have heard Jesus say. It says, my flesh and my drink or whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood abides in me and I in him as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died, and whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So, so two questions, two really important questions that we have to answer. What does it mean to feast on Jesus? And number two, and I think this is equally important, why is it so satisfying? Why is this claim? I'm saying it's true. Why is it true? Is there really a bread that actually satisfies? So what does it mean to feast on Jesus? Now, when you think about religion, a lot of people will say, well, all religions are the same. And of course, they aren't at all. <laughs> they all go about thinking about being one with God or whatever that is, whatever their aim is in different ways. Eastern religions oftentimes are very concerned not with a personal God at all. They don't even start from the same framework, but a force is harder for Western people to understand. I mean, the, the easiest way to explain it is Star Wars, right? There is a force. There is this energy field that kind of holds the universe together. And the way in most, a lot of Eastern religions, to, to find happiness, to find satisfaction is to lose yourself, to kind of blend into this force. And of course, it becomes very mystical, very experiential. Now, Western religions are more philosophical. They're concerned with truth. And law, you know, how do, what are you supposed to do? What, are you, what truth are you supposed to follow? It could be some sort of moral law like the Ten Commandments. It could be some sort of sacramental law, right? Uh, Islam, for example, there's kind of a mixture of moral and sacramental law. You have to go on the pilgrimage. You have to make a declaration. You have to pray five times a day. And even Christianity can be presented in a moral law way or a sacramental law kind of way. Some of you come from a Roman Catholic background. I come from a Roman Catholic background. Both my parents were raised Roman Catholic. Many people in my family are still Roman Catholic. This has been a big part of my life, and I have a lot of respect for the Catholic Church. But as an institution, Roman Catholicism can lead you into this kind of sacramental thinking about how you feast on Christ. Now, of course, you have to understand the history of the Roman Catholic Church. A lot of the theology was developed in the medieval era when there was really a theocracy. The government and the church were kind of the same thing. 
and a sacramental system or a transactional system in that kind of world made the most sense. Who of the people in this region have been baptized? Who of the people in this region have been married? Who of the people in this region have died? And so you have sacraments developing alongside all of these things. And of course, who of this reason is pursuing Christ or coming into the church? And how would this be known? Well, you have the Eucharist or the taking of communion, the bread and the wine. And in this theology, it literally becomes the body and the blood of Jesus. Roman Catholics believe in what's called transubstantiation, where at the communion service or the Eucharist service, the, the, the elements are transformed into the body and the blood of Jesus. Now, I think it's obvious, and I say this if, if you're from that tradition, I, I just want to say, I think it's obvious in the text that this is metaphorical, right? Jesus uses a lot of metaphors. He says, I am the door, for example. We're not to believe that Jesus thinks he's a door, or I am the light, or I am the shepherd. Jesus does this all the time. I am a vine, right? We don't really think that Jesus thinks he's a vine. We understand the metaphor that he is using. And we, of course, we, we rightly understand that this is also, a better understanding of the text, a metaphorical description of himself. And, and I would just ask you, if you come from a transubstantiation background, why this one? Why of all the metaphors in Scripture is this one taken so literally? But if you understand a theocracy, a theocratic kind of uh, sacramental society, you can understand how this theology was developed. It's a sacramental way of knowing the Lord. And again, I, I don't want to pick up my Roman Catholic friends. I kind of came up in a, the same kind of tradition, this transactional way of being one with Christ. Now, the tradition that I came up with it presented the gospel a lot of times in this way. It would say, do you want to go to hell? <laughs> Answer, obvious, no, you know, don't want to do that, right? Well, then do this sacrament. Now, the sacrament that I grew up with was pray the prayer, walk the aisle, be baptized, right? So you want to go to hell? No, okay, pray this prayer, walk the aisle, be baptized, right? What can happen in that is that people end up feasting, if you will, or counting on or depending on the sacrament and totally missing what Jesus is saying here. Totally missing what Jesus is pointing us to here. What does it mean to feast on Jesus? Does it mean to do the right thing, achieve some moral law, enter into some deal, go to some mystical place, have the right philosophical ideals? Is that what it means? Is that what it means to feast on Jesus? And here's the thing that I love about Christianity is it's not primarily philosophical. It's not primarily sacramental. It's not primarily transactional. It's not primarily mystical. It's primarily relational. What is the bread of life? It's not a philosophy. It's not a sacrament. It's not, it's not a law. It's a he. <laughs> I am the bread of life. And you know what I love about this? Anyone can understand this. I'm looking around the room right now, and I see some of you that I know have really big degrees, 
really smart folks have achieved a lot. You can understand this. I'm also looking around the room, and I'm seeing children here sitting with their parents, and you know what? You can understand this. Even a child can understand a relationship with another person. Even a child can understand coming into a relationship with someone. He is the bread of life. So that becomes the question. What does it mean to feast on Jesus? Do you know him? Have you entered into a relationship with him? Do you love him? And I've told you my favorite first Sunday. We, we, of course, you've been to first Sunday. We, we try to talk to everybody afterward that comes. And I sat down with a young woman after one, afterward one time, and I said, so tell me about your faith. Tell me about how did, how did you come to know the Lord? How, what's your Christian story? And she said this. I read the Gospel of John, and I fell in love with Jesus. And I was like, huh, <laughs> you get it. <laughs> You're feasting in the right place. I read the Gospel of John. I fell in love with Jesus. I wanted to feast on him. Christianity is primarily relational. You go to someone who can really satisfy Here's the deal, you're all feasting on something. You're all going to something to find Zoe. You're all looking for satisfaction. You may be going to work and you're saying to your work, make me important, right? Give me security, give me a name, give me some sort of validation. You may be going to love and saying, make me feel secure. Make me feel like I'm noticed. Make me feel like I'm special. Please love me back. You may be going to your children and doing this. I say, I love to love you. It's, it's a joy to give to you. But please grow up and do what I tell you to do. Please, please become what I want you to become. Please honor me in this way. And please don't forget about me when you leave the house someday. And again, here's the deal. Work is great but you can never get enough. Love is great, but even it can grow cold. Kids are great, but kids grow up and they get a life of their own and they don't call you as much as you wish they did. But what if there was someone and if you loved them, in them and in that love, you would find real importance. What if there was someone and if you loved them, they would give you perfect security and a perfect identity. What if there was someone, and if you loved them, any love that you showed toward them, they would respond tenfold with love back for you. With the same kind of energy that you're feasting on all of these other things and saying, give me Zoe, Jesus says, no, feast on me. Trust me. Listen to me, follow me, listen to my words, seek my kingdom, feast on me. And let me just tell you, as a Christian, when I do this, when I listen to him, when I follow his ways, when I trust him, all of these other things in my life do make sense and they actually do give me joy and they actually are satisfying. They fall into the right place in my life. It's like C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I can see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Everything else is right. Everything else makes sense. 
So last question, why then is this food so satisfying? I mean, look at 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Why? Well, it's because you know what Jesus offers? Look at verse 37. He says this. Notice how Trinitarian this text is. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing or no one of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son, who feasts on the Son, and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Day. From all time, God has existed in three persons Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is the eternal energy of God, the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, these three persons who perfectly love one another, who act in perfect righteousness, whose way is always good, who pour out love toward one another perfectly. And in this Trinitarian relationship, there's perfect joy and perfect hope. You know what there is? There's perfect Zoe, perfect life. This is true life. And here's the deal. You were meant to share in this. God created you to invite you in to be a part of this, to experience this Zoe, to experience this life, to be a part of his creation, to be a manifestation of this perfect love and perfect hope and perfect joy. We were meant to share in this, but our sin has put us out. We've gone after other appetites it's no accident that the sin of Adam was to eat something, <laughs> to feast on something that he was never meant to feast on. And as we've been trying to fill this void from that time and this, but Jesus has come to bring us back in. This is the invitation of the gospel. Jesus has come to bring you back in to this relationship with the triune, ever-loving, ever-joyful, ever-hopeful God, this God that is ever at peace. Jesus has come and become like us to invite us back in, to invite us into this Zoe. But in order to invite us in, he had to be put out. Jesus didn't say many things on the cross that we have recorded, only a few things. But one of the things that Jesus said on the cross was, I thirst. Jesus, who had only known satisfaction, feeling the love, receiving the love, receiving the joy, receiving the honor of his Father and the Holy Spirit and giving it in this perfect movement kind of way. Jesus, who had never experienced hunger, the hunger of Zoe, who had never experienced dissatisfaction, whose life is whole because he was in the presence of God, Jesus on the cross said, I thirst. And this was analogous to the cosmic thirst 
that he was feeling at that time, he who was eternally in had been put out so that people like you and I could be brought back in. Jesus became thirsty, cosmically thirsty, so that you could be satisfied, so that, as we see in chapter 7, so that you could drink of the living water that never runs dry. Don't you see what he's done for you? Don't you see the food that he offers? Come back in. Come back in. Jesus endured the cosmic thirst by drinking the cup of God's wrath against our sins so that people like us could be brought in, as Spurgeon once said, in one tremendous drought of love, he drank damnation dry. And if you believe that, that Jesus became thirsty by drinking the cup of God's wrath, that Jesus was put out so that you could be brought in, that Jesus became empty so that you could be filled, that Jesus came down so that you could be brought up into the delight of the Father, drawn by the Spirit, by the blood of the Son. There is great satisfaction in this. There's great Zoe in this. I am the bread of life. Let's pray. Father, I pray that today we would be the kind of people that feast on not the food that perishes, but the food that wells up to eternal life. Turn our hearts, Father, away today from sinful things. Turn our hearts away from good things that we're looking at for satisfaction Father, turn us away from the bread that spoils so that we can feast on the bread of life, the bread of Zoe, so that we can be brought back in, so we can feel the delight of the Father. We can be led along by the Spirit as we look to the Son. Father, do this work in us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.